Hello and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson. Joining me in a bit will be Peter Salmon. As we will get into a very particular movie, um, one of those movies that uh, doesn't make a ton of money at the box office, but uh, fills your heart and your head with good thoughts. And isn't that what it's all about, you know, as we approach um, Election Day and now, what is it, five days? Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, let's say five days. Uh, five and a half, since this is 3 p.m. on a, <laughs> on a Wednesday. Anyway, uh, we have a good, we, it, it's a good one this week. And Credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We are here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be the new independent drama, Pig which you can now stream on any premium video-on-demand service that you use to rent your digital movies. I personally saw it on the Cineplex app, so now you know. That will be in the back half of the show. For the first half, we are going to dig in. Because it's an election on, I thought it would be interesting to look at election-based movies. So these are movies... Uh, that are set around an election or during an election campaign uh, it, it, as opposed to like sort of more general political movies I, I was looking this up and I was like had googled like political like election movies and it included things like the American president the the Rob Reiner movie from the Aaron Sorkin script and although there's a lot of election talk in that movie. It doesn't necessarily take place around an election. There's a lot of discussion about whether or not the president of the United States, a single president having a girlfriend, would affect his re-election chances. But it doesn't technically take place during a campaign. It takes place in the days and weeks leading up to the State of the Union. So, these are election campaign movies. I got my list. Alright, so we're going to start with Head of State, which I, I... brought up on one of our political movies uh, episodes that we do at the end of the year on open sources. Uh, I did Head of State a couple of years ago. It is the story, it's written and directed by Chris Rock. It's the story of uh, Mays Gilliam, who is a alderman, which is the Washington, D.C. equivalent of a city councilor. Um, he is plucked from obscurity to run as the Democratic nominee for president when the um, I can't remember if the person who was the original nominee dies. I think he dies. Um, but he, th- that the person who was selected can't run, so the DNC chooses this man, Mace Gilliam, played by Chris Rock. And he's pretty much written off. There's no way he can win. Uh, the, the incumbent is like the the vice was the vice president. Now he's running for president. Uh, there's a big thing about how he's Sharon Stone's cousin. Uh, Sharon Stone, of course, still being very big in 2004. Um, But it's about how this man, Mace Gilliam, everyone writes him off and how he basically comes back with a populist campaign. There's a great scene where it kind of turns. He's been told, basically, he's uh, a patsy. He's been brought in to just have another name on the ballot so it doesn't look like it's a coronation for the other guy. And so he's, he's fed up. He's been tired of being told what to do and so he he delivers this speech where he you know he talks about 
that ain't right. All these things that ain't right. And he gets a tremendous response from the audience. It's this call and receive thing where he'd like lay out something like, you know, you have enough money just at, at, at the end of the week to be broke. That ain't right. So that kind of thing. It's, um, it's not a great film, uh, but I, I find it very charming in its own way. Great performance also by uh, Bernie Mac, the late great Bernie Mac. As uh, Maze Gilliam's brother and running mate. <laughs> so, um, also on my list here is Ides of March, which is a George Clooney movie uh, starring and directing. Co-writing, too, if I remember correctly. Of course, based on the famous, you know, curse saying Ides of March. Um... Ryan Gosling plays a political operative. Uh, George Clooney is this smooth, suave, charismatic, democratic uh, presidential nominee. He's the front runner. Of course, there is scandal around every corner. And in this case, it's the death of a, a young lady who's a staffer on the campaign. Rumors of, let's say, infidelities. Interestingly, the, the story isn't about like exposing the infidelity and, and showing the 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 great uh, Clooney and Clooney-esque uh, governor who's running in this election as exposing him as a fraud, but instead using his veneer and using his popularity to like accomplish good things. There's a, there's a speech at the end where Ryan Gosling basically says, like, I'm going to take you to the White House and you're going to do absolutely everything you promised to make this country a better place. And... Voila. That I mean, we don't find out what happens at the end of the movie if uh, the the George Clooney character gets elected or not, but it, it it's kind of like the start of that. The compromise has been made. It's not too similar from Bob Roberts, which is the um, the Tim Robbins movie. Tim Robbins stars and writes and directs it. Uh, he plays this kind of folksy, uh, singing Republican candidate talking about family values. The question is, through the course of the film, whether he's playing a part, whether he's like projecting this folksy populist image, and um, whether he's sort of like true to to himself and his identity and. and Various people who are like trying to figure that out. It, it's kind of like a mockumentary style. Uh, it's very, very interesting, though. Uh, very similar to Ides of March. How about something funny? There's Long Shot, which came out just a few years ago. It's from Jonathan Levine. Um, it's about Charlize Theron as uh, a Secretary of State who's running to be president. Um, Seth Rogen is hired as uh, a speechwriter, sort of like for all intents and purposes, make her sound more human, more funny. Um, and they end up entering into a romance uh, that threatens, of course, her campaign because um, <laughs> it's Charlize Theron and Seth Rogen. But no, it's so much more complicated than that. But it's interesting uh, because it is very funny. It, it does take sort of like the idea and the subject matter of like powerful women running in American politics seriously and how they, there is so much time, effort and energy to like thread a needle very, very carefully that a woman in politics has to do some very specific things. And one of them is not having an affair with a schlubby homie, uh, looking guy like Seth Rogen, although he has lost some weight and he shaved his beard recently. Anyway, um, it's a lot of fun. 
it's 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 a movie that came out and it, it kind of tanked. It didn't make a lot of money, which is a shame because it was a lot of fun. It was very very funny, and um, Charlize Theron and Seth Rogen were actually very charming together. Uh, let's do some action. Um, there's the Adjustment Bureau, which is technically about Matt Damon as a politician who's running for Senate, and. Uh, he 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 crosses paths with um this woman played by Emily Blunt and they have a meet cute and they kind of fall for each other the trick is uh she was only supposed to inspire him to give this like really rousing speech um uh, when he lost the, f- the the senatorial race the first time and now he's running again there's the whole thing this this whole thing about in in the course of the film that there's this extra natural supernatural force called the the adjustment bureau which makes changes to the timeline and tries to guide things and of course uh matt damon finds out about it how he was never supposed to cross paths with emily blunt again so it's all about like fate versus destiny and choosing your own path and whether he gets to choose being in love with emily blunt and of course like who wouldn't be but whether he will also achieve his other life goals um, which is inferred like he will become a, a transformative sort of presidential figure at some point along the way. Can he do that and also be in love with Emily Blunt? I mean, what's the point of being president if he can't be married to Emily Blunt? Just saying. Uh, also kind of action-y is Angels and Demons, which I think is probably the best of the Dan Brown, like, symbol action movie uh, subgenre. Uh, all those... Robert Langdon books. Um, I think Angels and Demons is probably the best adaptation. It's not necessarily the best story, but it it is uh, centered around the election of a new pope, so it counts. It's it's what works about it is, I feel, is that it's 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 timeline driven. It's deadline driven. They have to save the the potential pope candidates by midnight. And I think that's what really makes the the difference in that movie, as opposed to something like the Da Vinci Code, where we can like just wander around and talk about like symbols and biblical prophecies and blah blah blah. Anyway, um, <laughs> I also mentioned it because there's apparently a Robert Langdon show coming on TV soon, which sounds awesome. <clears throat> yes, that was sarcasm. Um, kind of actiony, but. Also, kind of horror-ish. Uh, I, I just thought I'd mention the Purge Electionaire because the Forever Purge just came out. I haven't seen the Forever Purge yet. From what I gather, though, apparently the Purge comes back. The story of the Purge Electionaire is that Elizabeth Mitchell plays this woman running as running to be president of the United States, and her primary issue is that she will end the Purge. She wins at the end of that movie, but apparently the Purge comes back. So the Purge always comes back. <laughs> There's some there's something going on there with with that messaging. I don't know. Um, let's get into some classics. Uh, the Candidate, which is this Michael Reicher film um, from nineteen I want to say seventy two, which is like um, like Head of State. I don't know if the Candidate inspired Head of State. It might have. Very well, might have. Robert Redford plays this politician who's the son of the former California governor. There's an election um, for, uh, I can't remember if it's for governor or senate. I really should have looked these things up in advance. But uh, in this election, Robert Redford is 
chosen to be the Democratic candidate running against a very popular Republican candidate who's expected to win. Of course, it's about um, how uh, the Robert Redford character must navigate like political wins. Um, there are moments where he wants to actually make a genuine effort to win, so he pairs down his dialogue, tries to sound more moderate, and then there are times he just sort of swings for it and inadvertently gets more popular against common political wisdom. Peter Boyle plays his campaign manager, but it's a really great ending when he wins, and it's like the victory party. He's being surrounded by press, and he says to Peter Boyle, it's like, okay, now what do we do? <laughs> we didn't expect to win. What do we do? And it's never answered in the film, because again, they never expected to win, which um, it's basically how Head of State ends, but they never kind of address it in Head of State, like how is Mace Gilliam going to achieve all the things he promised? It's, very, it's just very celebratory with a rap at the end. But like the ending of the candidate, though, is like very bitter sweet in, in that sense. It's like, okay, we did it. The populist won, the outsider won. I mean, even though he's the son of a former governor or whatever, but you know, how do you actually enact change? Um, it, it, the, the question lingers. Primary Colors, which was based on uh, a book which was initially by Anonymous, ugh, but uh, was later revealed to be Joe Klein, who was covering the Clinton 92 primary campaign for Newsweek. So he wrote this kind of fictionalized, hyper-realistic... Um, it's not It's not. Ex explicitly about the Clinton campaign, but it was heavily, heavily, heavily inspired by the Clinton campaign. And in the movie, it's uh, Mike Nichols directing, John Travolta, maybe one of the, his last really great acting turns, um, plays the Clinton pastiche, Emma Thompson plays the Hillary Clinton pastiche. And it's, like the Ides of March, it's very much about like how much is acceptable from a candidate, like, pers like, personally wise, like personal standard wise, um, if the hope is to actually create systemic change. Um, I, I think it's interesting to look back at this movie because it's interesting to look back at the Clintons period, like given everything that's happened in the last few years, like Me Too and all that. Would Bill Clinton, if that scandal had happened today, would he have survived an impeachment? Would his party have demanded that he step down? I think when you see what happens with Andrew Cuomo, or even Al Franken, you would have to say to yourself, yeah, there's no way Bill Clinton would live, <laughs> I was going to say live long enough to be impeached, but his political political career would live long enough to be impeached. Um, maybe a few more. Election. That was another one I want to touch on, because I mean, it came up in our discussion of uh, the top films of 1999 a couple of years ago. Uh, I think it was. I think election was one of mine, um, and it is. It is very interesting because I think watching election in 1999, you are meant to see Tracy Flick not as a villain, but as an antagonist. Uh, you're you're kind of very much meant to see things through Matthew Broderick's perspective. But going back now, after after everything that happened, especially the 2016 campaign in the United States, you are very much much more sympathetic to Tracy Flick now. And you really kind of understand that Matthew Broderick isn't the hero in that movie. He's kind of more of a villain than whatever coding was meant to, you're meant to sort of see Tracy Flick as. It's very 
timely, uh, oddly enough, election coming out in 1999, but more timely in 2016, 17, 18, 19, 20, and 21. It is very much worth a rewatch. Uh, maybe to mention some documentaries, you can watch Knock Down the House, which I believe is on Netflix. It's about the, the election of the squad and other Democrats in 2018. There's Mitt, which is kind of this inside look of the Mitt Romney campaign in presidential campaign in 2012. It's very, very interesting. Uh, more interesting than you might think, given that it was Mitt Romney. Uh, there's Street Fight, which may be tough to find, but it is well worth watching. It is about uh, Cory Booker's run to be the the mayor of Newark. Uh, Cory Booker, of course, is now presently one of the senators from New Jersey. Um, but this was like one of his first political campaigns. Very, very tough. Going up against a very, very corrupt mayor in Newark, as it should be, because that's where corruption was born. I don't know that for sure. But anyway, uh, we're going to take a quick break and switch gears to talk about a little movie called Pig. You are listening to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus, and Community Radio. It's like someone took a knife, baby, edgy and dull Like a six-inch valley through the middle of my soul And right away, go shoot Soaking when there's a freight train Running through the middle of my enemy Can cool my desire Oh my god, uh, may I? Uh, how are you? My god, you, you, you've been off the scene for what, uh, 10 years? 15. Really? Okay. I thought you would, um, well, I mean, the time is very, uh, sure. Yeah. I'm sorry, do you need medical attention? No, thank you. Uh, you probably don't remember me, but I actually worked at Hestia. You were a prep cook for two months. Was it two months? I fired you because you always overcooked the pasta. <laughs> ah, ah, now this is excellent. This is a, uh, a 2012 Pinot from just 20 miles away. So do you know about the pig? Why, why do you want a pig? It's my pig. And that was a clip from Pig. It's the new film from writer and director Michael Cernofsky, and it stars Nicolas Cage, Alex Wolf, and Adam Arkin. I'm now being joined on the line by Peter Wesley Salmon. Peter, how are you today? Doing good, doing good. Just living life in that fast lane. And uh, yeah, <laughs> back, uh, back to school at old U of G in Ottawa, but taking U of G classes, which is great. Go, Grizz, go. Yeah, so yeah, I'm wow. just doing that all was... that. No, 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 go, go, Grizz, go. There we go. Nothing like a little hometown spirit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
So good. Uh, this is your first time back since we took a little bit of a, a summer break. So yeah, uh, I think Suicide Squad was my last. Yeah, so that was over a month ago, which is uh, yeah, kind of mind blowing. That came and went. Uh, but we're here to talk about uh, Pig, which is likely going to end up on a lot of uh, best of lists at the end of the year. I don't know if it'll end up on either of ours, but. Uh, for today, uh, how do you feel about Pig, Peter? Where does where does well, Pig sit with you? I just finished it, but it wouldn't surprise me if it makes my end of the year list. I absolutely loved it. Uh, I'm one of the people where I never I never disliked uh, Nicolas Cage. I, I never believed he was a bad actor or anything. Um, but he obviously, he's, you know, there's, there's been some films that aren't great. Um, so it's just amazing seeing him in the past couple of years, and uh, this being my first one I viewed. Um, uh, true Nicolas Cage, uh, positive reception. You know, he's been doing good, and I'm, I'm glad. I'm very glad. Um, and I think all the other actors too were uh, remarkable. I, I actually, uh, you know what? I was going to say guiltily, not guiltily, like the Naked Brothers band. So it was great seeing that, uh, you know, one of the Broskis as a main character in it. Mm-hmm. I thought Alex that was, a, that was, a, yeah, a lot of fun. I, I until halfway through, I was like, oh yeah, that's that guy. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was cool. And I thought, uh, yeah, he was remarkable in it. Um, and there wasn't too many actors, but uh, it's okay. They had a, a real phenomenal uh, camaraderie, Robin, Amir. And uh, the other uh, small roles were good, too. Adam Arkin. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought he was good. He'll never be his father. But he was great. He was, he was great. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he was, he was only in it briefly, but uh, his appearance, the little uh, uh, back-and-forth convo with Nicolas Cage was really great. Mm-hmm. Um, and visuals, everything like that, just just stunning. Uh, uh, the audio too, thought the audio was done great, especially because in the beginning, whenever there's uh, extended scenes in the forest, there's so much dialogue, right? So you got to mm. have a good uh, faint score going. Yeah, it's uh, definitely one of Nicolas Cage's great, if not his most understated performances. There's, mm-hmm. there's not much in the way of like vintage Nicolas Cage, shall we say? in Las Vegas, maybe, but yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> With, like, crazy eyes and a lot of screaming and, uh, you know, very much, uh, you know, I was looking at his filmography and I forgot that he was in the um, the fake trailer for Werewolf Women of the SS and Grindhouse where he played Fu Manchu. And it was, well, like, and, uh, three seconds of glorious Nicolas Cage off kilter, so... <laughs> well, and young him in uh, Rumblefish, too. I uh, I thought he was really good in that. I like, um, I see Hitton's works a lot, so it was it was great. Uh, and I'm um, not a fan Rumblefish? of Raising Arizona, but I think it, objectively, is a really uh, great film. Let me, hold on, let me just see where Rumblefish... 1983, he was in Rumblefish. It was his third credit. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that... We're we're talking about deep poles, and that is a deep pull. Um, he's smoky. Smoky's he's like decently he's decently major. I, I mean, it's it's interesting. Nicholas Cage seemed like he was on this path to, in, in much the same path as like Bruce Willis, where Bruce Willis is like, just give me money, like give me money. I will show up tomorrow. I will sit in a chair. I will read dialogue off some cards and then I and then I will leave. And then you can put my face on the poster. You would say Bruce Willis stars in and then, you know, you, <laughs> that's that's what that's what Bruce Willis does now. It's, I think Nicholas Cage just wanted out of that, you know? 
Well, I mean, there was a, there was a a while where he was kind of veering into that ter- not necessarily like as lazily as Bruce Willis, but when we're talking about things like where he's in um, what was it? Bangkok Dangerous, Wild at Heart. That's oh, actually I mean, Wild at Heart is really great. Sorry, I, I believe the second I read Wild at Heart, I had Wild Hogs in my head, but that was that was Tim Allen, not old Nicholas Cage. But I mean, yeah, no, Wild at Heart, David Lynch, I, Laura Dern, I absolutely love it. Yeah, my uh, my apologies for such a, a flawed, incorrect, and disgusting comment that I made. But I mean, things like Knowing, like remember Knowing? Oh, I remember watching Knowing multiple <laughs> times in a row. I was a youngin, right? So I, the reviews didn't. Uh, it didn't matter so much to me. Or season of the witch. Well, it was, I didn't. I didn't watch season of the witch. The one thing about knowing, like ninety percent of it's in the house, and I like that. I like bottle episodes, so it was like a bottle bottle episode film, and I liked it. How about USS Indianapolis? Men of Courage. No, no. Hey, adap- <laughs> adaptation. You didn't bring up adaptation. Oh no, I'm I'm mentioning like the crap he's done for money. No, like, I know, but I'm just saying it doesn't really matter the the year. It's been it's been a back and forth. I know, like knowing. Too about a few years ago, it was mostly bad. But uh, he's back. He's back in the game. There's I, that one other one. Isn't it Chloe Grace Mortez is in it with him? Mandy? Is Mandy she in it? She's not in it. But uh, Mandy apparently was really great as well. Are you confusing Mandy with Kick-Ass? No, he's in Mandy 2018. I know, but he's in both. But he's in Mandy and Kick-Ass. But Chloe Grace Mortez was in Kick-Ass. Oh, that's probably why. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I do have one more, which is left behind the air quote big budget adaptation of those awful left behind books uh but i mean <laughs> it's just it, it there was a while where he was just doing things and at some point like there was a click in his head he was like no 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 i'm gonna try and look for like quality so he does I, I forgot the one where he's like a hotel manager that peeps on people. But um, I mean, with, when you're thinking about Mandy or Color Out of Space or Joe, um, you know, even Willy's Wonderland, like there's like some, you know, anyway, it just he's he made he's making an active decision to try, which I appreciate. And in Pig, it's just like it's a straight up pared down and there are so many scenes where he just doesn't say anything but he's great at it he's and he's great. great no he's great but i mean part of the nicholas cage oeuvre right was like this motor mouth this like you know car salesman kind of mystique um that he could talk quickly and and you know deke around and make funny faces but there's mm-hmm. just none of that here and it's so fascinating to watch and there, there is a good amount of dialogue from him too. I just people listening, I don't want them to think it's he's silent the whole time, and that's why he's great in it. He's more silent than a lot of his characters, but when he does speak, it's a really, it's a really great job. And mm-hmm. uh, his uh, rise in silence during the film makes it even more special when he does say some words. You know, right? Mm-hmm. No, it's it's like there, there's an intensity to like whenever he's like actually in conversation with people, and I think it's what's interesting about the film is that. Like there are, in, there's incredible character detail laid out in, over the course of the film, but it's never like expository. It's things like you you're supposed to kind of pick up on. A yeah, lot. yeah. Like you kind of have to be paying attention. This isn't like something you could passively participate in because yeah, you like could, find who that who that one woman is, right? Right. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The scene where he's in the the bakery and he's talking to uh, the woman who used to work in his restaurant and. Uh, 
yeah, that's, I mean, that's a really wonderful scene too. But I mean, all these scenes are like wonderful because it, he's like someone who's like confronting his past, but he's also like kind of deconstructing his past. Like the conversation he has with the one, with the, um, the chef at the trendy restaurant, they go, first of all, we should that's probably my favorite scene. We should explain the plot a little. Uh, he He's a former chef, Nicolas Cage. Uh, he's a former chef, like a trendy, like sort of Portland chef. But he lives out in the woods and he hunts for truffles with his um, beloved pig. The pig is kidnapped um, because they believe this pig has like extra sensory, <laughs> like truffle finding ability. Yep. So the pig is kidnapped. He goes into the city to find his pig, and he, you know, it's it's. I mean, first of all, I was thinking John Wick the whole time because it's like a man who's like supernaturally dedicated to his animal and will do anything to get it back. It's just there's no gunplay. But yeah, uh, it's not it's not like an action film like John Wick though, right? No, no. I do, but I, I do. Yeah, I want to make that because I'm not like a huge action guy. It's not my favorite. So anybody listening, pig, it's not that's not what it is. I'd say it's more just a drama. But, but I, the, I know what you mean. It's, it's plot the same in a more broad way. It's very, very similar. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's the same energy. You took my animal. Give me my animal back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that uh, what happens in John Wick? Someone took his animal? Well, somebody kills his dog, but it's... <laughs> oh, okay, okay. I haven't seen it in so long. But it's like, you killed my dog, so I'm going to kill you, basically. Yeah. It's like, it's it's eye for an eye. Like, you took my pig, give me my pig back. But um, <laughs> but the scene in the restaurant with the chef where he's just like, it's like, none of this is real. You know, you are you wanted to open, like, an English pub. This isn't an English pub. This is, like, you know, world's best chef reality show BS. Like, you, you wanted to be, you know, just... Oh, like your dream was to open an English pub. This is not what you dreamed of. Everything you're doing is unreal. <laughs> Everyone you want to like impress doesn't care about you. Like it, there, there's just, it, it's like deconstructing this whole sort of like chef as hero or like chef as like, I guess. Yeah. Chef as hero myth that like we sometimes get with these like movies about like culinary, like you could be the biggest a-hole in the world but as long as you make amazing food it's kind of forgivable which is <laughs> there's there's kind of a reckoning with that um generally in society because of the pandemic this was of course made before the pandemic but i mean the movie is already there by tearing apart this whole idea of like no like being the best chef doesn't matter when like you're not doing what you want to do it's like if you if you want to just open a pub and make pub food like make the best pub food you want to make uh but you know when you're in the restaurant you're like oh we use only locally sourced ingredients and it only comes from 20 miles away and this is the best wine and you're <laughs> like these these like uh uh baguettes and covered with escargot and caffeine it's like no 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 it's if that's what you want to do fine but you know this guy um you know, didn't want to do that, but like, no, uh, I'd rather run a pub than all that. That's not yeah. Sort of, uh, yeah. Pubs don't care if the food doesn't need to be close by it uh-huh. <laughs> from anywhere. Well, I maybe mean, prefer if it said it's like shipped in from Ireland or something. I was going to, I was going to say, talk to the people who run the woolly, but <laughs> yeah. Do what I would really like if he did it, since he actually is though, like capable of real, uh, great cooking and making food uh i feel like it'd be the kind that had like blood sausage or or uh, sorry blood pudding 
I, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I feel like it'd be a great pub. So now I kind of I want to see a spinoff where he opens a pub, and I want it to be popular so that they open up a real pub for it, <laughs> and I can go and get that. But yeah, I, uh, what I'm trying to say is there's a lot of food discussion in this. So if you're a fan of uh, of food in the culinary world, I, I'd say there's there's some enjoyment here too. Especially for that part, it shows like you know it, 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 they're not necessarily better uh, if they're their reviews if the the reviews are on you know the new york times for their food or whatever you know the pub people some of them are just as good but it's what they prefer you know you got to keep in mind all the the different cultures attached to uh food you know and how they all have uh are great in their own way right like but food, truck, like- food truck people are could be like <laughs> you know just just as great as uh you know people in a, a five-star restaurant or whatever Right, but it's not like stick up your ass kind of food talk either. It's, um, I mean, it's kind of all over this movie that just like everybody knows just kind of how fake it all is. But like they're all kind of, like there's the discussion between Adam Ark and and Nicholas Cage later where he's like, you know what, there you were right to go out into the woods and live alone and just dig for truffles because there's like nothing here for you because the message is like. He he reached the pinnacle. He made it to the top. He was like the best chef in town. Um, and then he, you know, packs it all in when his wife or partner or whatever their relationship is passes away. Um, and just like it's just a good message. It's like you made it to the top. People are only at the top for a while before they have to take, you know, before they have to depart. You made the exact right call. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. You made it to the top. Now you just disappear, and we don't think about you anymore. Yeah. Well, and uh, that's just another example of how we get brief looks into what his past was like. Um, mm-hmm. And that's also why I wanted to bring up the scene where they go into. I guess it's. I guess it's the sewers, and there's. Um, you, you see that you know the homeless, uh, the underground kind of homeless culture of um, Portland and uh, his role in it, and it's just a really, really. It's not my. It's it. I'd say my second favorite scene. I already stated the one was my favorite, but it's um, it's uh, it's really it's really great. It's uh, it's really messed up. It's it's a uh, includes a homeless, uh, fight. Uh, not the usual kind that we have more in, in this world where it's you know two of them being filmed together, but rich people paying to beat up one, and it's just it's it's messed up, but unfortunately accurate of how um what a lot of people homeless people have to deal with in big cities but it wasn't a homeless <laughs> fight it was a, it was like the restaurant workers of the city like are like take part in this fight club like, are you are you are you sure because the the one guy he paid like solely just to beat up Nicholas Cage he didn't fight back right i think they're all restaurant workers okay you know what yeah okay that that's <laughs> that's still messed up but that's uh that's not as bad that's more like um I think at uh, Applebee's, like on your first shift, and you have to like beat each other up or something. And, like if you get knocked out, you get quit. And there's just different, you know. There's. Are you thinking about the King of Staten Island? <laughs> yeah, but I, I like to think that was based the pitch on reality. Right. <laughs> I mean, maybe. I mean, this is the sex. This is the uh, another movie uh, that implies <laughs> that you know working in a restaurant like is a gateway to fight clubs to make more money or to secure your position at restaurants. So maybe this is a subculture that's real. Well, um, it, it 
It is. Um, it's. I don't know if it's to this degree, but the truffle world is is pretty messed up because it's one of the hardest things to get, right? Um, I'm very curious. In Guelph, um, York Road Kitchen, they have uh, they have some of their macaroni. I'm curious how they went about getting it. You know, <laughs> it's an interesting world. But I, I do like you that. heard New York Road Kitchen. You make a <laughs> statement about it. Where'd you get those truffles? I did like that scene too because I mean it's it's sort mm-hmm. of like the first hint you get that um, Robin the the Nicholas Cage character has this like much bigger life beyond like living in the woods. I mean because it's again it's never explained. You first see his name in, yeah, in that scene, and he it's writes really, his, everybody yeah. like bows down pretty much. Yeah, it goes silent. Like, <laughs> there's like, like a hush falls as he's like writing his name on this like bulletin board, and. Um, you know, you, you you see this and like everyone falls. You're like, oh geez, like who is this guy? Like that's, <laughs> that's the slow kind of slow peeling reveal of like who's this guy? Like why is he so so? You know, kind of why does everyone kind of like bow to his name? And and there's um there's a scene where um Amir, the Alex, his his truffle buyer, you know, uh, is trying to get th- that reservation at the trendy restaurant and he's trying to use his connection and he's like okay well it's for robin fell uh, kind of name dropping and then later uh robin rob tells him like you know sends him on an errand it's like just use my name and it's like well he's kind of already been using your name <laughs> yeah yeah like there's 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 kind of an interesting commentary about like sort of the intoxicating nature of just like sort of being able to name drop people and being in those circles, um and like and, and Amir's like name dropping him like w- well before like he gives him sort of formal permission to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, I uh, I I don't know if you you didn't really mention him at all yet. Uh, what were your thoughts on Alex Wolf's uh, Amir, his role in the film? I thought he was good. I I like yeah, I yeah. I'm not terribly familiar with him. I know he was in the Jumanji, the recent Jumanji films. Yeah, but mainly the Naked the Naked Brothers. And I I'm I wasn't terribly familiar with that either. No, think, that was yeah. That but was more, it, uh, like he he was good. He was good accompaniment. Um, he, he was good at, uh, even without um, discussing it further. Showing the issues with his dad, like the one yeah. scene where he he talks. I, I believe that's his mother, right? Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's very good. Shows the relationship without shoving it to our face, or even them really having a, you know, a, a scene together, or at least a, a major one. Well, it shows like just like there's this veneer in this relationship that you know he's trying to go out on his own and make a name for himself, with the understanding at some point his dad will suck him into the business. Well, and, and he's have... doing. Sorry. Sorry. Well, I was gonna say. Then you later have that conversation between um, Rob and and Amir's father, the Adam Arkin character, who says like, "Yeah, my son's going out there. He's trying to make a name for himself, but like, he's not gonna make it. He doesn't. You know, like, he doesn't have what it takes. So when he comes back, I'll give him like a desk job or something. You know, where that's he... because <laughs> that's because his dad thinks that you can only go about it in an unethical way, right? Where his son actually has a heart, and his son. I think he's well, great at what he's doing. He's just—he's actually making like friends, and uh, I don't know. He's—he's he's just being an evil guy, killing. He's—he's um, trying his best to make this sketchy truffle world a bit more uh, morally acceptable. You know. Well, that's why he thinks he—he he, he can't hack it because he doesn't have the you know 
the willingness to play dirty. So exactly, but he's just got to stop listening to his dad or play play dirty to the dirty. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. It's it's just it's this very bizarre system they've constructed. Like they're telling each other about how the wife died or killed herself. Although it it we, we kind of see that she's like in a vegetative state or comatose or something like the attempt wasn't successful. So like, who are like, why are they lying to each other and themselves? And, and because it's not like they disavow the, the wife and the mothers, like she still exists to them. They still talk about her. So it's, there's, there's this kind of bizarre, like tissue of lies that they've wrapped themselves up in. And the lies aren't necessarily, intertwined like each like both the Adam Arkin character and the Alex Wolf character both have their own kind of set of lies that they've wrapped themselves in and, and never the tween shall meet and I, I almost wish there was a, a bit more of that I mean I, I, I don't again I love 90 minute movies I think it's perfect but <laughs> I, I would have liked to have seen like maybe a bit more of like just how effed up this relationship is one of the rarities in the film yeah, yeah. it could have actually been longer Yep. Yeah, it's 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 just it's the most bizarre. It's the most bizarre thing, and I mean, the, the movie kind of leaves it. It doesn't resolve everything perfectly. I mean, it, it more or less ends with with Rob unsuccessfully securing his pig and going back into the woods. Um, but with the other, that's that's a conclusion. Yeah, but it it doesn't talk like. Like, you want to know what's going on with the master, right? Souls weren't healed, let's say. Like, <laughs> right, some, some never there, are. Some yeah, might never it, be. A, a kind of peace is reached with the events of the film, but but you know, souls aren't healed. And I mean, I'm okay with that, but it just, I I, I wish there just been a little bit more light into some of these uh, dark corners that we we never really completely saw but that's mm-hmm. just, that's that's a personal thing and i'm i'm actually okay with that like let me let me headcanon that and I'll, <laughs> we'll see what happens <laughs> yeah but, yeah see over time how uh, your thoughts uh, changed on that yeah um yeah i also thought um you were just saying at the end he listens i think to the full um audio tape um, but the audio tape is played in the beginning too so i just like how there's kind of a sandwich system going on there you know you at the beginning you hear a glimpse of it and at the end you get more of it um, but it still doesn't firmly show us who his love was but um i think it's a nice conclusion yeah and i think it also in a weird way shows why maybe he should just be back at the cabin or at least not doing um all of the culinary stuff going on all the culinary drama because one of the main people that was a part of it that was the reason he did it is gone right mm-hmm. But there's there's a lovely message too about because so many movies are about like getting back at people with with violence um, or or like not not necessarily like physical violence but even like emotional or, or psychological violence and the the whole climax of this film turns on uh, not like an act of retribution but an act of kindness. Um, with um, with Nick with uh, Rob and and Amir like making this nice meal for Amir's father to try and get the pig back as as kind of like a way of like I don't know uh, <laughs> as a kind of like I guess emotional kind of massaging because the whole thing is that um, 
the the father and and the mother had like a and Amir tells this tale of how they came back from dinner one night and they would always be fighting, but this one night they came back and they couldn't stop raving about the meal. And it was because it was at Rob's restaurant. And so Rob, who says quite plainly at one point in the film, is like, I, re- I remember every meal I ever made, including this singular meal for this one man and, and his wife. And so he makes that meal and tries to, like, essentially kill Adam Arkin with kindness. It, it's, yep. it's, it's really kind of overwhelming when you kind of appreciate uh, just like just appreciate that sort of gentle humanity that it's not about like this grizzled old man like taking an axe and putting it in somebody's face that it's <laughs> the, the film essentially comes down to an act of you know quiet graciousness yeah it it did a really good job of slowly laying out and displaying robin and amir's relationship at the very beginning when he comes you think oh this is just some rich guy who's doing a purchase like just some sort of you know classic drug deal right like he doesn't actually <laughs> know this guy or like you know or at least not close to him right like i i thought it was like a pineapple express thing where you know he would just get pulled in and <laughs> not be close but have to talk you know i thought it was that sort of thing but um you slowly find out that they've they've he's actually known um uh, amir has known robin like pretty much his whole life and has actually looked looked up to him um and you hear even some more small details about it so i'm not trying to spoil anything but um, I just wanted to say that uh, Robin and Amir's relationship uh, has uh, has more heart to it than you might think. And it's really great. Mm, and it's like Amir is... It's interesting because the message is there like right at the beginning that there's more going on with Amir than you think because he pulls up to Rob's cabin and it's like one of these like atrocious sports cars. <laughs> but, yeah. But you hear the classical music being played on the stereo system inside. So, um, and, and then you find out later, it's like, not this, he's not like necessarily listening to the classical music station. It feels like, it sounds like he's listening to like a, like one of those courses on tape, like one of those master classes, like that's about like um, classical music appreciation. So, so and, his dad likes it and he's trying to be, yeah, or something like yeah, that. Or, or I didn't, I didn't, proce- I didn't process that. I didn't yeah. think about that. That's awesome. Like, yeah, he's trying to appear cultured and he's trying to, you know, sort of, I guess he's trying to like organically feel like he belongs into like a certain world. Even again, even though he was born into that world, but he, he's still trying to make his own place in it by. It, it know, also not, just shows the, the little tidbits yeah. that it spreads out uh, through the film to show what he's like, what his relationship's like with his father um, and his relationship with Rob. Like I was discussing, you know, it's not shoved into your face. It's just slowly given and displayed um, as it is in real life, you know, and as we have to, a lot of the times find Mm -hmm. it or understand it. And I love so much, so many of the little things. Um, Like there's the scene where he, after the the pig is taken, he, he walks down the road to, um, to this diner and he's like hey is marge here and like marge died 10 years ago <laughs> i know i felt so bad for him <laughs> it's, uh, for a second then, i was worried that was like the love you know and we were just gonna find out I was like oh she's dead that, that part of the plot's done and yeah it just it 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 made me laugh but it, then there's like the the first place they go to is like this truffle sorting uh, business and yeah, and, or like a, a commune with the production of it. You know? Yeah, and 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 she says to him, uh, the, the woman who runs it is like, you know, she's she's terse and direct, and like she doesn't have time for whatever 
Rob in a mirror after. And and Rob says, like, well, I'm I'm looking for my pig. She goes, like, well, what kind of pig? He's like, a truffle pig. She's like, son of a bitch. And, it, like, she she just goes on this tear. And I was laughing. Yeah. I was well, laughing I, it, about it for five minutes. Just, like, how, the, how suddenly she turns. It's about a truffle pig. Get out of the way. <laughs> Well, and it reminded me too of what I I think like a lot of a lot of uh, weed growers or shoe growers and dealers are like you know it's not like the cocaine dealers where they're they're just not they're gangsters or stuff a lot of the times they're just you know hippies out growing something yeah. natural and then giving it to whoever you know but like they just showed in this film they don't always like knowing who they're giving it to because it could be more of a sketchy mm. connection but it showed how you know they're not not all drug dealers you know. <laughs> not dealers all. aren't that bad you know it's, there's some <laughs> drugs that are just more attached to hippies than to the the reason people thought there uh, a war was required so yeah I, I again i think that's just a small little glimpse into the different uh, cultures of not just portland but the the culinary world and uh, yeah, it was great i would have actually been okay with a bit more of that although mm-hmm. i guess that would have uh, pulled away from where they where they did want to go and the the main direct focuses they wanted to give I mean, um, I, think I also also in yeah. that scene, I I forget if they like displayed their name or called them this, but the two addicts are in the credits referred to as Tweaky and Tweakette. Yeah, kinda, I, that's a little. <laughs> that's one thing of this film that maybe is a little dated or just not not too appropriate. But um, yeah, that that's not really that's not that's so small. But it's a, I, it's I, a, I just, just want to say if anybody watched this, if you've dealt with drug addiction yourself. Uh, that that might I might hurt a bit. I just want to say we don't all believe that. Um, no. <laughs> yeah. No, it, that was that was kind of maybe a little a little a weird. Little, yeah, uh, I think they're trying to show how spread about and how big this truffle truffle world is. That you've got the the people running the you know the hippies doing it. You've got the the addicts or trying to do it just to you know get some more money for their drugs and then more of the the high class culinary richy rich world and yeah. So I, I, I don't know if they were necessarily needed in the film, and I do think they were credited in a not in a little offensive kind of way, but yeah. that's such a small thing. Such a small thing for this really I, great film. It's a small... Th- I mean, I think one of the things, like one of the little irksome bits, like one of the few irksome bits about the movie for me is just like kind of how small it feels. Like there are scenes like where he's... There's a scene where he, uh, Rob steals a bike off somebody's porch and like nobody's around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, that's why for a minute there, I thought they maybe had shot this during COVID because they were just there was like sort of like a, an economy of like the use of people where they they were trying to consciously be careful how many people were in a scene. But it, there's, there's just like a, entire scenes where it's like kind of nobody's around and it's like the portland kind of feels like a ghost town so i don't yeah, know if that's I, I the general that nature of portland but i mean because it, it was shot on location and it's beautiful um like it's a beautiful looking city and it takes place in autumn so everything looks you know colorful and beautiful um, yeah chapter uh, when chapter three starts there's a really good uh, broad look at the bridge and portland and yeah it's uh, it's really beautiful so i mean it might be good sort of like uh image therapy for for portland after all the the protests and proud boys and things that have been i mean so right i forgot that was in portland very very surprising (laughs) so that could be a a side benefit too is like it's it's a it's a it's a a, it captures the city beautifully and nobody's Mm -hmm. like setting anything on fire inside so Um, it's also one of the works where the director has done like absolutely nothing prior 
So, you yeah. know, you can uh, you can be a part of making it more famous. You know, you can you can help them out. Yeah. Like, come like <laughs> come. It's. Come to Portland where all these beautiful (laughs) restaurants people ate. (laughs) But it's always fun seeing their first film be great because, you know, they have the potential to be a consistent director throughout your life, right? Like, I I absolutely would see whatever is coming after Pig. So this is not Pig 2. Pig was a great standalone. So I'd lose lose respect for him. I mean, could could you imagine if it's like – it's like it becomes a Taken franchise. <laughs> yeah, series like, too, <laughs> Netflix series. His pig oh. is always getting taken. Um. <laughs> Do you know what actually would be great is the documentary about a couple of pigs, but uh, that probably already exists. Oh, Definitely. yeah, no, that would be it. I mean, that would be interesting, but I might, mm-hmm. given, um, and I don't know where Michael Cernoski, who's who is the, the writer and director, I'm not sure where he got the idea or like maybe what kind of research he did, but maybe that's something like, it's one of these insular worlds where people don't want to let people in to sort of like get the the secrets, as it were. Like you don't want you don't want like kind of the truffle gold rush and people like swelling the the Oregon woods looking for truffles under every tree because it would ruin it for everyone else. But that's 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 my two cents. Yeah. <laughs> I just shuffled my papers with Ken Brockman. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, Pig, great movie. Uh, well made. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, uh, like I said, great performance. Possibly one of my favorites this year. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's. You know what I? You know what I compared it to in my head? First cow. Yeah. Oh, I was I was gonna bring that up. Yeah. It well, first cow also shows how sketchy the uh, the culinary <laughs> world could get, right? That's right. Yeah. No, I I should have brought that up early too. Yeah. 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 Also, also takes place in Oregon, but like two hundred years earlier. Oh my gosh, I didn't even process that either. <laughs> you had a busy weekend, so it's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um. You're totally right. Yeah. So if you liked uh, First Cow, or even if you liked the idea, but it was a bit too too artsy for you, I say you'll enjoy Pig more. Pig, Pig's not a blockbuster, like a, but it's it's it's, it's more, more of a accessible. regular film. It's more it's more accessible. Absolutely. Yeah, All it's right. a good word to use. All right, Peter. If people want to talk about truffle and truffling, I don't know if you is that what you call it when you look for truffles? Is it truffling? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. That seems correct to me. But anyway, if people want to talk about any of that, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, Truffle420 uh, on Twitter <laughs> and TikTok. Um, yeah. Truffle420? Yeah, Truffle420. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, uh, Mr. Towerack on good old YouTube, good old Twitter, and on that classic TikTok we all know and love, Peter, Wesley, Salmon, just like the fish. And that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. And if you want to listen to it again, you can find it on our website at endcreditsradioshow.com. You can also download it on the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday at Podbean. Or you can get it through your favorite podcast app at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google, and Spotify. And speaking of Spotify, you can get the playlist for much of the music that you hear on End Credits. Just open up your Spotify app and search for End Credits on CFRU. You can also find us on social media on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show and on Twitter at End Credits Radio. I will be back here on CFRU tomorrow at 5 p.m. for news and politics on Open Sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz. In the meantime, you can find me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, or you can find my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. 
And stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We'll be back next Wednesday. Next Wednesday. (laughs) Get that out right. We'll be back here next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for more end credits. And we will see you then. Thank you.